You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hi, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today. Another great episode and another great interview. I'm particularly excited about sharing this one, even though it wasn't my interview. I'm a little bit of a fangirl of uh, our next guest. So thank you, Jared, for having this wonderful interview with Mr. Jordan Cooper. No problem at all, Elle. Glad I could oblige. So tell me, how did you how did you uh, hear about Jordan Cooper? How do you know him? Well, I've actually never met him, but I, I have. I'm a fangirl of Jordan Cooper because when I first started scouring the interwebs in the 2000s for mm-hmm. some Canadian voices that were thinking about church planting, were thinking about, you know, faith in the context uh, that I was experiencing it, the emergent conversation at that time, and I was really looking for Canadian voices, Jordan's was the voice that I heard. And uh, I went to a couple of the Resonate events that were locally held here, and uh, I was very grateful that he somehow collected all of these people across Canada because um, at that time there were so many American voices. I suppose this is still true today, but uh, it was so refreshing to actually find some Canadian people talking about the same things that I was thinking about and wrestling through. So I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for Mr. Jordan Cooper. So uh, oh, me too, me too. I I, I definitely like him. Um, and and. It, Here's why I think this is an important story for the New Leaf Network, because what Resonate did between 1999 and 2007, 2008, somewhere in there, uh, is exactly in many ways what's inspiring the New Leaf Network. Um, but I, So I want to listen to this interview uh, with a view to saying, how do, we, how do we do some of those same great things? How do we um, imagine some of those great things? But how do we avoid some of the mistakes too? And I think right. um, I think Jordan is very honest in this interview, and I'm really excited to bring this to you guys. So here is my interview with Jordan Cooper, uh, one of the founders of a Canadian network um, called Resonate. Give it a listen. All right, everybody, uh, it's Jared here with Jordan Cooper. The uh, original founder of the Resonate uh, movement in Canada. I know you're just getting really uncomfortable as I'm talking. I love it. I totally I love it. <laughs> Anything I can do to make you less comfortable, Jordan, I want to do it. <laughs> the reason I want to talk to you today is because I think, um, like when I first met you, um, it was through a group uh, 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 called Resonate, um, and I'd heard about your blog. And what I found so fascinating about that moment in history, and it, it's a it's a moment in history that stuck with me. A lot of the people that I met during that time period, still my friends, still people that I I appreciate and and am inspired by, and this little movement um, uh, got going basically around the time you started your blog. Your blog was kind of you were called the blog father. That's well, was it wasn't even a blog. It wasn't even a blog then. It was just a website. Just your website. It was, so that was pre-blogging. And uh, people found it. Len Sweet mentioned it in his, whatever his book, I can't remember which book it was. And people kind of flocked to it. 
And uh, so that's how a lot of people found it. And uh, yeah, basically it was that time. So I'm working in a church, I'm working in two different churches, working in a tiny yeah. world church in Spiritwood, Saskatchewan. I'm working at Lakeview Church in Saskatoon. It's a big church. Yeah, and we're there. both part of the same denomination. And so I'm working in both, one during the week and the other one during the weekend. And I just wanted to keep track of what was going on. So to go back, so, and again, so the person in Canada that was so in, influential within this was a person named, uh, her name is Karen Newdorf. Yeah. And she was publisher of a magazine called Beyond Magazine. Yep. And I was looking at faith and spirituality. And she had had a conference at Three Hills, Saskatchewan, which you were at and I was at. Mm-hmm. We, didn't, and we didn't actually know. No. We were there <laughs> no. together. So Karen had a, uh, she had done, um, and I believe too, a Yahoo Groups. And uh, Yahoo Groups was an uh, email list. So you could just sign one up. It was free. You could invite your friends. And it was worked as just simple listserv. And uh, since none of us had any money back then, Free was kind of key, and and so she had that, and then a couple of years later, she had kind of moved on from that conversation. The magazine had gone in a different place. She concentrated more on the artists, and so there was this kind of this gap that was happening where the U.S. emerging conversation was happening, but that was just Americans mm-hmm. um, and a little bit Europeans. And so um, one day, you know, and and they were kind of just focused on their thing. And which is a good thing because the as we learned the Canadian conversation about theology and culture was very different, yeah, um, than what the U.S. one was. It seemed a little less polarized, and and uh, and there are there are differences between even how we're able to have the conversations. Right, there were things they were able to do, like conferences and things like that, that we we wished we could go to. Right, and, and so a lot of that was all regional. You know, mm-hmm. I remember there was one. Um, one Kevin Rains and Alan Creech put together in, in Ohio and Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati and Kentucky, Ohio and Kentucky. There we mm-hmm. go. Did not do well in geography apparently, <laughs> but you know within that region. So like a hundred people came and, and it was a really good discussion. And and so more and more we talked about is like we can't do that here because Saskatoon, you know, five hours to Calgary or pardon me, six hours to Calgary, five hours to Edmonton. Um, eight hours to Winnipeg, and you're still just in Winnipeg. And, <laughs> you know, kind of, it's like the tattooing of the Star Wars universe. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, now yeah, everybody knows about it, but at the time, it was a kind of a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yes. So we're sitting here in, Mo, in Mos Eisley here. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it looked like in the movies it was really kind of in the middle, but, you know, <laughs> it was really in the outer room. So, I remember one night, and so we, everybody had a website. Jared, your church had a website. Mm-hmm. I've been making fun of it before. It's called, <laughs> it's called the very, very uh, humbly named The Next Church. <laughs> um, you know, but but that was actually the contact. And we were all putting some resources online because we're right. all working on our own stuff. So you had Kim Reed in Montreal. You had Dave Blondell doing the thing with, uh, with uh, Third Space in Peterborough. Yep. Um, you know, you had stuff happening. Uh, Lambert Baptist Church with Don Crawford was doing, trying to do some right. stuff as an established church. Daryl Dash. Daryl uh, Dash yep. in Toronto. And so one day I just remember emailing a bunch of you, probably 60, 70 of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hey, do you guys want to join kind of this listserv and you know do some regional contacts so we can know where people can connect to us? And it was a lot of ways. It was a lot of lonely and isolated church planters going, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it. And so the end result was is that more and more people started to join. And, and I asked uh, Jeb Brunquist, who's a graphic designer here, who's working at Lakeview. I'm like, Jeb, I need a logo. And he came up with one like within a day. It was a great logo. Yeah, it was amazing. And so we put that together. And 
you know, and that's what kind of started the email list. And then everybody's like, oh, there's something. There's some sort of conversation in Canada. Right. We're like, yes, yes, it is. Yeah. We have a website. <laughs> Guys, emails, addresses, and girls' email addresses, and a listserv. Yeah. But we're a big thing now. So, yeah. but that kind of, and then we went on from then. And so there was kind of two really, well, three really cool things I thought happened out of that. One of them was, and Jared, this is uh, you in, in Purnell, um, the, res- the idea that resonate greenhouses. And they were small collections of people uh, meeting up, talking church planting and yep. church, um, ways to church growth, um, you know, and help each other. And they were kind of regional. I remember you came in, we went down to Moose Jaw and met up with some some guys. And uh, yeah, we're like, Saskatchewan's two hours from Moose Jaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't. You're still in Moose Jaw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it kind of worked as a great halfway place between the Regina folks and us. Um you know, and that's just started happening, and people started getting together and and having a couple of and having a couple of coffees or drinks, and so there's these friendships built up. And so, what we found was is that, you know, so we had these kind of clusters of people, and they were connected and loosely to other clusters of people, and they're like, hey, we got actually a group of us now. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's lunch, and sometimes it's it's getting into these discussions. Then uh, Purnell. Who was the pastor of the freeway? And, and of course, <laughs> yeah. I just want to laugh. So, the freeway's website was frwy.ca. Yes. Yeah. So, for years, everybody just called it the Furway. <laughs> he got scooped by another church plant, yes. actually named the Freeway. Yes. And uh, they got the domain name first. So, back then, if you couldn't get the domain name, you really had to, had to do some serious thinking. So, yeah, Purnell. And there, there should have, there maybe should have been some more serious thinking, but uh, <laughs> Purnell, Purnell, the the Furley. So, Purnell was like the rock star of church planters in Canada because he actually had a building yep. that was big, and yep. uh, he had an old CIBC building bank yep. in in Hamilton. Yeah, made into a beautiful coffee shop, and so um, Purnell was able to host what he called these kind of these learning parties. Yeah, and uh, he would invite, and we had. Uh, David Fitch, who loves to tell the story how he was conceived in Canada, so that makes some. He's an American, uh, of course, American theologian. But if you ask him, he's a CFL fan, yeah, Hamilton Tiger Cat fan, and yep. um, he was. Uh, he would come in and talk, and he would kind of be a draw. And mm-hmm. it was always fun to have somebody like that talk to us. And, and Purnell had other church planters up. Um, we went strong for a couple of years. We actually planted, uh, did an ebook. We did um, a bit of a uh, culture journal, and. Then I think what happened was, and then, you know, eventually it just, it didn't so die out, but I think the communications changed. We weren't so reliant upon email. There's a transition. Right. Um, I think Twitter came along, but I also think the other big thing was, um, you know, for good or for bad, the, a lot of the people that were a part of that were coming to an end of their church plants. Yeah. Or were coming to realize that their churches weren't going to accept, or they weren't as going to be as comfortable within their churches as what they'd hoped they would be. So we're talking at this point when things start to kind of peter out, probably 2007, 2008. Yeah. Somewhere in there, 2009. Yeah. So it, it had a, a, a nine to 10 year run. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And, and you know, I think I, it always struck me back then that there was a big difference between the way the American conversation went and the way the Canadian conversation went. Because in the American conversation, there were people that were genuinely like throwing shade on on the emergent conversation like da carson came up with a book that was a was a in my opinion it was a hatchet job on on some of the people yeah i remember that book um 
and and there was open criticism of the emerging church, but that wasn't that wasn't our lived experience. There was maybe some discomfort with some of the ideas or directions we were going, but it it felt very different up here. But I think I also took in some of the American. Um, I got defensive artificially. I think. Well, I, I also think you know it was it was weird, um, but yet we are more liberal up here in Canada, like it or not. So right in the middle of this controversy with Brian McLaren, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which may be the one of the more conservative bodies within Canada, brought in Brian McLaren. Yeah, and it was kind of like there wasn't any controversy about. Yeah, it. and it wasn't to crucify him. Publicly. No, no, and like no. denominational officials came and like. <laughs> we're joking around before and then like instead of throwing stones they were like excuse me sir would you like to ha- discuss this over a maple donut yeah. <laughs> like, you know and, and, and of course Brian is awfully gracious that way but I think yes. he would he would I remember him and I talked like he was almost like kind of overwhelmed that like at home you know how far is Toronto from the border you know 100 miles mm-hmm. you know it's like 100 miles uh, south he is in a lot of ways the antichrist for a lot of people right yet 100 miles north it's kind of like Man, this is so great. You know, we're all kind of working through this together, mm-hmm. and so there is a different conversation that we may disagree with him. And you know, there's a lot of things that Brian has said that I disagree with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I still want to continue to talk with him and chat with him. Yeah, and and have this friendship there. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, as Canadians, we kind of a little bit of the vision of what emergent was. I remember being one of the very first times they talked about that at Solarize in Minneapolis was kind of was lived out a little bit by by resonate and by the Canadian theological conversation in general mm-hmm. uh, you know a side example is the Canadian Evangelical Theological Association has been a strong and warm home to Clark Pinnock you yeah. know for for decades you know they, they may not all agree with Clark but they all value his friendship and his presence and his contribution yeah he yeah. has been kicked out of I believe the American Theological Association because of different views. So there is a different vibe there, right? You know, yeah. like like we we just don't have those. And we were talking about, I'm sure you've had those. I remember in denominational meetings, us both being part of this, or we're part of the same denomination. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of it was, you know, people really disagreeing with what the emerging church or what Resonate believed in, but at the same time was not willing to risk that relationship. Yeah, so we could talk about it. We could have great, intense discussions all afternoon. Go grab supper. Yeah, you know, and, and, and yep. then still go out and do something in the breakfast in the morning, and that not having an impact. So I'm not sure what it is. It's almost like the Americans have a longer, a quick. They need it resolved now, but we're willing to actually let's discuss this out over a decade. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And see where we are with this. Same, yeah. with, same with Clark Pinnock. We've seen this. Let's just enter into a long discussion about this. And the truth will sort itself out. So, the you know, one of the challenges that we had... So, Resonate is no longer in existence. So, there was a time when when it kind of petered out. Um, and, and that's what I find fascinating about, about what happened with Resonate is, is that it, it didn't... I remember having a certain level of paranoia about, you know, denominational leaders or even though I was becoming one... Um, you know, or other pastors or Christians coming after us. That's not what ended resonate was some kind of contentious fight to the death. It w- it just kind of disappeared. So tell me a little bit about, about that period of, of the resonate story. Well, uh, Jared, and I, I use the term denominational leader use loosely. <laughs> 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 <Talking to you. laughs> but 
you know, and you would know it, is that there's money for church plants to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and most denominations operate like that. And in the process, church planters generally exhaust their savings and um, pay a tremendous price. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that happen. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe the old model of church planting didn't work combined with this. Um, I think a lot of it is we spent a lot of that time deconstructing and trying to figure out what we weren't. Right. And then when you figure that out and you got to go do stuff, you know, and, and um, so we saw a couple things. One, I got you know, I involved working with homeless communities in Saskatoon and, uh, you know, working within that context, social services. So it became, you know, I wasn't working. You know, I still thought that I might be doing the, the word of or doing the, uh, the business of God, but just in a different way. And I saw that mm-hmm. from other people as well. I think the other part of it was, um, again, a lot of people were forced to leave ministry short term or go back to more of a traditional as a livelihood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and not knowing really where to go. Um, you know, at that time, I think there was a lot of hope within denominations that some of this new stuff would work, even though they may not have always agreed with it, um, and it didn't. We didn't get the sustainability down, and, and you know, there's a lot of crazy ideas. You know, people deciding to go back to school or going back to different professions. Um, you know, so it did kind of peter out because I think we all hit that stage where that discussion wasn't so important anymore, A. And I think, B, I said the other part of it was is that it was, I think our life situation changed. Yeah. Also, I think the technology changed as well. None of us send as much email or as reliant on that. Right. You know, the ability to go mobile and everything else. And you saw that with the overall decline of Yahoo groups yeah, and, and it, Google it groups. Yeah, it decentralized in, yeah. in a way that, that, that our... Our way of operating didn't didn't. But uh, but on the other side of it, though, it's it is kind of crazy. I still hear lots of people who come through town. You know, when you go through town, do you want to go grab supper or something like that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it has always stayed. You know, the the friendship part has always stayed. You know, we went through a you know for a lot of us a fairly intense shared experience. You yeah. know, with, with probably two hundred of us, we're trying to bring around church to the change to the church in Canada, and that and I think we also underestimated that that job too, right? You know, these rational arguments would be able to rationally persuade people yeah. to change up <laughs> 200 years of history over about three weeks. That should be, yeah, should be yeah. a problem. That's not a problem. I've got an infographic. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is good. So I just don't, I honestly don't think that we could get the money figured out. Yeah. Um, we couldn't figure out a way to to get staff. And maybe the future isn't full-time paid staff or even part-time paid staff. Maybe the future is something else. But um yeah, it was just something that it was some, a part of this process that we learned, and it was a hard process. So let's talk a bit about the future of the church in Canada. Tiny little topic. Um, and based on what you learned from the Resonate period, the era, you know, what what do you think we should pay attention to going forward into the future as, as a, a community of churches? And, you know, where do you go? You know, what direction? You know, we were trying to find that answer out 10 years ago. And, you know, to a degree, Bill Hybels is trying to figure out that answer. Mm-hmm. How old's Bill? 78, 79? So he's trying to, I don't even know how old Bill is. But he was trying to figure that out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert Schuller was trying to figure that out in the 60s. You know, so I, do you want the definitive answer? No. Uh, no, I just want the Jordan answer. Yeah, yeah. No, the correct answer is, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um I look at the numbers and they're, they're, they're depressing. Yeah. Um, I remember actually being out in, again, at Three Hills and listening to Tom Stein speak for the first mm-hmm. time. 
And, um, you know, he was talking about the impact of student debt. Um, so we're trying, and, and that's just huge. Like the numbers are staggering. In Saskatoon, where I am right now, um, there's some graphs on the city of Saskatoon website, or there was before they redesigned it, that showed income growth just flat. Like it's just, it, it barely moves. And housing costs just spiraling upwards. Um, so these are really, really big things when we go, why aren't these churches sustainable? Or why aren't they? Why aren't we able to raise enough money? Well, people are trying to pay off their student loans and are trying to keep a, a shelter over their head. And I don't think we've ever really had to understand that outside of big urban centers where the church has struggled before. Hmm. So I, I think you look at and you go, you know, the housing costs in Canada are a part of that. So I think there's going to have to be some different models. I think the, in the price of theological education is insane when you think about you're going to put that people into a role John Stackhouse wrote this uh, article years ago, and he's talking about basically we're going to charge a huge amount of money for people who are going to make as much money as an entry-level accountant. Um, you know, so that is a big factor. I think the figuring out theological education in the future. Do you need accredited institutions to teach what we've learned for Just a thousand a years of, of society? And do we need to charge that amount? Yeah, or do I? You know, my own personal feeling was. Um, I learned more the excellent theology from uh, my pastor, Mark Mealy, when I was going to college than I did actually from Bible college. Mm. And we used to meet every week on the University of Saskatchewan campus. There used to be a sub shop. We would eat a sub and we would talk about uh, some of the neo-Orthodox theologians. And there'd be some reading. I was like, it was amazing. Maybe that's a better way that we could be doing some better theological training. And so you can put your positions, pastors into positions to be able to pastor for longer, more effectively. So maybe that's a part of the solution, lowering the cost of ministry, um, lowering the cost of ministry, which puts pastors into better situations and more flexibility rather than being governed, so they can be called by the Holy Spirit rather than their banker. And and you you talked a lot about um, a, a community in your neighborhood and and and, yeah. and a church and just keeping pastors where they're effective. Okay, so this is my this is my great story. When I first moved into my neighborhood, and it's a bit of a high crime neighborhood. You know, there's probably be more violent assaults on my street corner this year than I've ever seen. It's terrifying. My mm -hmm. son was assaulted badly last year, middle of the day. So, but there was a church, a little Anglican church, three blocks down the street, two blocks down the street, and it used to take over parking. So this is now, and I'm talking about when you think of small. I mean, like on a single house size. Use for Christ is in there right now, and it was just this traditional, no parking, no nothing. This church has, this building has nothing going for it at all, and it's up high. So it's got those stairs that are intimidating to go up. <laughs> Not even accessible then. Yeah, 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 yeah. On a Wednesday night, people used to be parking at my house all around the street there because they were taking alpha classes. They were taking Bible studies. They were packing this thing out. The cool thing about this, at one time that during that time, they actually were uh, renting out other empty houses around them so they could put Sunday school because they had no room for them. And so what does the denomination do or what the diocese do? They moved them to a more successful, the the, uh, the team to a more successful, you know, to a bigger church. Right. You know, within two different uh, appointments, that church had been sold and was gone. After this guy? After that. Wow. It went from wow. a matter of years. They were doing all the stuff that we just, you know, you read about. When we moved in... Our, you know, it snowed a lot that year, and you know, like six o'clock in the morning, this old dude would be like walking a self-propelled um, uh, snowblower down my street and dropping a card in there. It's like your walk was shoveled this morning by this such and such church. 
I'm like, it was great. And they were just doing the stuff that everybody talked about. And it's like, nobody actually did. And, you know, I remember going out for a walk one time. And they're just, you know, just kind of giving out Cokes on a hot day to people coming off by a bus stop. You know, to working class people, ice cold Coke on a, you know, on a 40 above day. You know, it's like, yeah, it's for your friends down the church. No expectation. And they packed it out. And I was like, they were doing this stuff. So I think that's the other part of it is. I think we talk all the time. We were talking earlier about Erwin um, McManus. I want to get back to that. But mm. um, this couple was a perfect match for that neighborhood. They loved the neighborhood. The neighborhood loved them. You want to get, you want to get changes around within the church of your church? I really believe the secret is you find a, per- a perfect leadership team that loves their neighborhood and that neighborhood loves them back and yeah, I think you'll have a lot of success. But churches, you know, against what's the mood? Oh, they're successful. They must be promoted. Right. That and couple didn't get, want it, that couple get, didn't want to be promoted. They, they get yanked out of where they're effective and they, placed into yeah. a culture they don't understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so we were talking about, you know, the you know, what do you do with these bigger churches that are in decline? And, you know, so we all want to look at mosaic in Los Angeles. And Erwin McManus is down there. And I don't want to take anything away from Erwin McManus. He's done an amazing job. But everybody goes, well, what have they done? I'm like, really, what we should be asking is, how do we clone Erwin McManus? Right. You right. know, but Erwin McManus is a person who loves L.A. and L.A. loves him. Right. And there's that, it's the exact same thing. It's on a bigger scale in a bigger city. But, you know, and I think we go, well, how does that? That may be the exception. So maybe the future of the church is saying, you know what, this church you know, I used to out to to beforehand. Maybe the life cycle or the lifetime style, uh, lifetime of a church is a hundred years. So maybe for these churches that are eighty years old, instead of focusing, how do we save them? Because really, what we're saying is, how do we save the real estate asset? Hmm. You know, and, and that's really where we're going at. How do we preserve this real estate asset? Maybe we should go and how do we figure out a way to let this thing die gracefully and go find a way to find that person that does another thing? Because. You know, if, I'd love it if somebody probably wrong on this one, but I don't think there's probably 10 stories like Erwin McManus in North America. I can think of maybe one or two. And they kind of be generational. Like, it's kind of like last generation did this and now McManus, and probably there'll be one this one. So instead of trying to replicate what is almost unreplicatable, why don't we figure out a way to to let some of these places, you know, and if we can find that person, turn around, great. But let's, let's worry about what the next generation is going to look like. Yeah. And maybe we get rid of those assets and help them downgrade easily. I I think the the future belongs to to hobbits, in the sense that it has to be this has to be done. This extraordinary work needs to be done by ordinary people, and I I think the more we look to those superheroes, the the worse off we get. Yeah, you know, and and remember the uh, oh, let's let's take a shot. I'm not going to name the denomination by name, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh-oh. So there's a denomination. Was it there's a denomination that said that they were going to do 15 mega churches in Canada? <clears throat> yeah, and Lazarus <laughs> is clearing at me now, so we won't name them. How's that going for them? You know, because right. you like, you know, we used to think that way that we were like masters of the universe, and we could do that. We're going to have 100 church plants, and we're going to have this going. Right. Truly, really, man, it sounds great at a conference, though, doesn't it? Like yeah. you sound like a visionary when you say this stuff. Like well, at a conference. Yeah, at a conference. So you're going to pick your church denominational conference that we're going to do, you know, all these churches. We're going to do Mighty Morphin Power Churches or whatever we're yeah. going to do. You know, and, and I, you know, I really do believe that they have prayed about this and they have want this and they want what's best for it. Mm-hmm. But none of us have ever figured out how to do that. Like, you know, right. You know, um, 
there's a lot of stories, you know, of big name pastors. I'm going to go plant a mega church in in Dallas. I think Chuck Swindoll said that, and then mm-hmm. kind of like that didn't go well, you know. Or in, we all plant for this. It's it's hard because again, I think it's that right person at that right time at that right place. And that comes back to the very, I think, very first church conference I was at. H.B. London was talking about that, that he knows of pastors that used to pray more, that used to have a better relationship with God, that worked harder, but they never had the success that he did because he was one of those guys that was in the right place, right person, right time. And, you know, so let's not roll the dice on that thing and, and let's just accept the fact that this is where we are. It's going to be a tough slog. And, you know, it is. It's We're in a culture that doesn't, isn't open to Christianity, has already thought that is it is looked at it and rejected it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle. But yet at the same time, we're talking about like some of the positives that came out of Resonate. Yeah, yeah there wasn't a lot of church plants that came out of that. And it wasn't really a church planting network. But at the same time, man, it's kind of cool to see the stuff that we were talking about being talked about in established churches today. Right. It's part of the mainstream conversation. Yeah, and people are, are looking at that and are accepting that and are realizing that there's a bunch of stuff in the church that we thought that was important that wasn't that important, uh, that we're streamlining down and, and and we're focusing on things like, you know, community and we're focusing on discipleship and we're focusing on um like neighborhoods. And, Na- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Neighborhoods and serving your neighbor. Like that little Anglican church. That was not discussing postmodernity. Yeah. No. It was just trying to figure out. It was two people realizing, you know what? We've got a neighborhood that hurts and it's working class. And on a hot day, how can we serve them? Yeah, got a can of, got a cooler of Coke here. You know, there's another church in the city that for years used to just open some midnight basketball. You know why? Because the pastor loved sports and or late night basketball. And the community knew that the kids hadn't hit a gym. So, you know, a couple of guys used to go in there and just kind of supervise it and try. And they've had tremendous success. Reach, or they had such a tremendous church when they were there, reaching out to some of the youth there. Because, again, that caring, that wanting to be part of that. So I think that's awfully, I think a lot of what, so we did a lot of that work on kind of that, that deconstruction. Maybe the people who deconstruct or maybe aren't the best people to construct. You know, Interesting. That, uh, those are two different leadership skills in itself. So, um but yeah, it was a lot of fun, and sure, a lot of you know, a lot of people we met, and we got to hang out, and we did stuff, and people crashed on floors, and mm-hmm. you know, those friendships are still there, and it's still pretty cool to get an email from somebody saying, yeah, I'm driving across Canada, give me a Saskatoon for the night, do you want to go hang out? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we haven't we haven't seen each other in years, but um, that was a great shared experience that we all had, I think. Yeah, and I I I believe it was important. We weren't right about everything, but we certainly weren't wrong about everything either, and and it is. As you say, it's really interesting to watch how what we were talking about then is part of the mainstream conversation now. So, Jordan, thanks for uh, being on the show. No problem. Um, we're going to have you back again to talk about uh, um, uh, other things you've tried that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just because in, in this nine-hour in this nine-hour episode, <laughs> it's also got intervention in it. <laughs> Where are my friends here? What's going on, Jared? <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I want to have you also talk uh, talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the other stuff that you've been up to, and uh, but we'll do that on on some future episodes. So thanks for being with us, and thanks for uh, sticking your neck out there and getting this resonate thing started. I think I think what you did mattered. Cool. Good to be here. Jared, thanks so much for that great interview with Jordan. I loved hearing about the stories of how Resonate started and really some of the 
the ways that it ended up breaking apart. It was a, it was great. Uh, yeah, I say great a lot, but it really was an interesting episode <laughs> for anyone that was around back in the day, or even for people that are thinking about starting new things. We have a lot to learn from some of these, what I would say would be pioneers in our, in our day and age today um, that stepped out and did something new and interesting. So thank you so much for sitting down with him. Well, I think, uh, you know, what I took away from that interview was the the conversation around sustainability and that's something that um as a network we really have to start taking a look at is um we do a lot of things for free right now um we do a lot of things by volunteers and that's good and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and i'm i'm proud of us for that but i also think about um how do we make all of our events sustainable how do we keep uh what we are um it doesn't have to be permanent, but a longer term uh, uh, reality in the Canadian context. So, L, when you and I plan events, we often think about that kind of stuff. And when we create new things, we often think, how do we make this financially uh, sustainable? So uh, if you want to support the New Leaf Network, if, if some of what we're actually doing matters to you, um, one of the ways you can do that is just show up to our stuff. Uh, so we have... Um, a learning party coming up in Kitchener um, on November the 5th. Um, we have church plant design shops, and that's one of the, the ways that we make money. Um, and then there's just, uh, we can take donations. And so if you're interested in um, in donating to the New Leaf Network, what you can do is uh, you can send a check. <laughs> I know who has checks but this is possible um and and maybe we'll work in the next few months on getting a donate now page but um you can send a check to the free methodist church in canada and make the payee um free methodist church in canada on the memo line put new leaf network because the free methodist church in canada very generously looks after our books um at the present moment so that is still uh uh uh, one of the ways that we can make this uh, more sustainable. So, Ellen, any thoughts, any closing thoughts from you on this? You know what? I love hearing the stories of the people who weren't necessarily always successful. And, um, you know, at least in the end, it didn't stick around as long as people had have imagined. And, and yeah, I, I'm because Jordan did say like the success was that that what we were talking about in those days is that we right. are part of the mainstream conversation. Right. So it's. It's it's but it didn't sustain itself and and it right. probably wished it had been around a little bit longer than it actually was. So I think right. that's something that, yeah. that that we that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think those stories are extremely important because you often learn more from things that didn't go as planned than you do when things go just as planned. So I love hearing those stories and I'm really grateful that you guys were able to connect and we were able to share it with our New Leaf Network. Well. That's the uh, Resonate episode of, uh, of the New Leaf Project. Uh, so thanks for tuning in, and we're glad to have you with us. Big shout out to our listeners in Quebec. Uh, just started out. That's uh, pretty cool. And actually, we're, we're doing well in St. Louis, Missouri. I can't figure that out, L. Um, but we've, we've picked up a few listeners down there. Uh, so if you're fellow Canadians or you're just interested American friends, we just want to say a little shout out to our friends, our new friends in St. Louis, Missouri. This one's going out to you. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. 
You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and stars all across Canada.